Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked us down. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Well, of course, the Catholic Church has a whole lot to say about family life and our vocation uh, as a spouse and as parents and as children. So much great stuff in the church. And of course, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has a lot to say. And I want to start with a quote from the Catechism Reference 2207. It says, The family is the original cell of social life. It is the natural society in which husband and wife are called to give themselves in love and in the gift of life. Authority, stability, and a life of relationships within the family constitute the foundations for freedom, security, and fraternity within society. The family is the community in which, from childhood, one can learn moral values, begin to honor God, and make good use of freedom. Family life is an initiation into life in society. And that's what the Catechism has to say, one of many things about family life and really the core, they call it the original cell of social life. And as we can see that family life breaks down, so is our society, right? Our culture, that's what we're seeing right now. And I wanted to talk a little bit about homeschooling in this episode. Now, full disclosure, I was homeschooled for a portion of my my childhood and I quite enjoyed it. And uh, my mom and dad made that decision. But back in the 90s when I was a kid, there wasn't a ton of options, uh, but I did have a really good experience homeschooling. Now there's so many more options, especially here in North America and particularly in Alberta. And I'm so thankful for that because, well, it was just a few years ago now, I guess probably about six years ago, my wife and I decided to homeschool our children. And my wife does such a fantastic job. I have more of a support role for sure. But it's something that we've really enjoyed the journey of. It hasn't always been easy. And it's not necessarily for everyone. I get that. Everybody's got different circumstances in their life. But I know a lot of people hesitate because they think they can't do it for some reason or uh, they're not capable of educating their children. But I'll tell you what, you just need a little bit of push and encouragement because everybody can do it. We all have great life experiences. Some of them are academic experiences. Maybe some parents, uh, uh, maybe you've had a university degree. Maybe you're a teacher yourself. But you can also have some great life experiences that you can share with your kids. And there's so many opportunities now and so many great options when it comes to homeschooling. I really encourage you to look at it. We're looking, well, right now we're in that that time of the year as we release this episode of kids going back to school. And uh, you may have already made a decision to send your kids to a uh, traditional uh, brick and mortar school of some sort. But maybe in the future, this is something that might be of interest to you. Or maybe it's something uh, that uh, that your wife or your husband you've talked about uh, throughout the years. And I'm encouraging you just to take the plunge if that's something you really feel you need to do. Or at least get some more information about it because there are some fantastic resources out there some fantastic people that are uh, very much engaged in homeschooling but also there's uh, so many great materials and resources now that maybe weren't available a few decades ago so it was a real honor and a blessing to catch up to someone who's really been a a trailblazer him and his wife uh, deacon ken noster at least here in alberta uh, he is, uh, if you homeschool your kids uh, in any way, shape, or form, chances are you know who Deacon Ken is. So I thought it'd be uh, real timely to bring him onto the podcast, and you're going to really enjoy his insights. And the other thing to remember is that not just Catholics homeschool, there are many non Catholic Christians and non Christians in general as well that homeschool for various different reasons. So this may be something a little bit new to you, a new concept, but I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is Deacon Ken Noster. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. 
Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Deacon Ken Noster co-founded Wisdom Homeschooling in Alberta with his wife Marlene in 1995 after recognizing the needs gap for families to have special administrative support in their pursuit of home education for their children. Now, he has since traveled and spoke across Canada and has been a tireless advocate for the freedom of parents to homeschool without interference or pressure to conform. In addition to being head of school for Wisdom Homeschooling and the Gilbertine Academy, Ken is also a permanent deacon of the Archdiocese of Edmonton. So lots going on in Deacon Ken's life, and I'm very blessed and thankful that he's found some time to chat with us. So today, let's welcome Deacon Ken into the Catholic Canuck podcast. Thank you. It's hard to know where exactly to start with you, Deacon Ken, because you've had such a full life already when it comes to advocating for home education, having a large family yourself, and being a deacon in the church as well. But let's talk about homeschooling and take us back to the 90s when you and your wife founded Wisdom Homeschooling. Uh, Did this correspond with a spiritual awakening in your life, or were there other circumstances that led to the founding? I think probably the most significant thing that led to the founding of Wisdom was that we had begun to homeschool ourselves, and we recognized a great gulf between uh, the the systems in place, both at government and school board levels, uh, regarding home education, and where the homeschooling families were themselves. And no, that wasn't part of a great spiritual awakening. That had happened earlier. <laughs> uh, the the need to homeschool became uh, abundantly clear when our eldest was halfway through grade three and had essentially quit school. So she was going to school, but she wasn't. She had, she had literally shut down. And um, it was mostly because she, uh, we really wanted her to fit in. We knew that she was precocious uh, when she was quite young. But because we really wanted her to fit in when she went to school, and we lived in a small community uh, where you know you knew everybody in the school, and you know it was a great the school is part of the community. No one, no one would even consider not having their children and their whole family connected with the school. So homeschooling as a concept hadn't really occurred to us, but uh, she she was. She taught herself to read before she was five, and and by the time by the time before she was six, before actually before she went to kindergarten, so um, there too before she was five years old, she was writing stories, and so she was really ahead of things. And so when when she went to kindergarten, she was uh, well, they were learning the alphabet and stuff, and she knew all this, and uh, so. You know, the kindergarten teacher kind of found her hard to handle because she uh, she didn't have anything to learn, frankly. Uh, so she made it most mostly a playtime. Grade one and two, similar. She she was given worksheets just to keep her busy while the rest of the students were learning things that she had long since learned. Uh, <laughs> The librarian wouldn't allow her to take out books that she could read because they were for the older kids. All kinds of weird, you know, very, very regimented approach to to schooling that uh, was was ultimately a blessing in the end because it it forced her to just shut down. And actually, she was beginning to go into depression, which was that was the thing that 
when we discovered that, we just uh, found out on a Friday and pulled her out of school on a Monday uh, with no real planning and figured, well, we'll do this till the end of the school year. So that was February. And uh, and then Marlene, bless her heart, I had a B.Ed., but Marlene had no, quote unquote, education training. Uh, really, over the course of the next year, she read more than you would read in, in a four-year education program. She read everything on pedagogy and approaches to learning, learning styles, you name it. And so we had a very rich time of of basically teaching ourselves how we could apply all of these, uh, all of this wisdom about uh, about education to to being at home. And of course, we made the same mistake everybody else makes when they start homeschooling, is we tried to create school at home, and it was really uh, that following summer. So when we'd just been in in a few months, that we met a cousin of mine who was homeschooling, and who opened our minds to the fact that you know we, no you don't try to keep up with what's happening in school. In fact, you just you just do something entirely different. So that. That changed our approach, and uh, the following uh, full year was actually quite beneficial because we began to just kind of ease into just making our home a learning environment. And something Marlene and I uh, decided right off the bat was uh, not only had our daughter been suffering uh, in terms of her education and her social uh, environment, but really spiritually. Uh, she, in fact, uh, earlier in that grade three year, she said, sometimes I think it would just be easier to give up and be evil. Because having virtue was not rewarded socially, culturally, in the in the groups that she was in. And friendship was seen as something relative. You were a friend if you complied with other people's wishes. Um, and so relative friendship, relative love, and faith was mocked, frankly. Uh, and mm-hmm. so not much has changed. And not much has changed. I mean, frankly, <laughs> to be honest, well, honest, what, why would I lie to you? <laughs> when, I to, when I went to school, uh, grade one to 10, I was in a small, well, Derwent school, public school, where faith was actually honored. All of our teachers uh, uh, really had a real respect for faith. I was kind of given a, a, a dignity every time I had to leave school to serve mass at a funeral. The church was just across the road from the from the school, and and I just felt like I was was honored in doing this as opposed to the, being any sort of uh, you know question even. And our my, my peers were almost all Catholic. Most of them were Ukrainian Catholic. Uh, there were just very few Roman Catholics. Um, but I, for grade 11 and 12, my father really wanted me to go to, a, wanted all of us to go to a Catholic school. So we went to a Catholic school in grade 11 and 12, and that's where my faith was first mocked. And so this is in the late 60s, uh, in a school where mo- many of the teachers in that school were daily communicants, very faithful staff. Mm-hmm. And they built a school around this faithfulness. The board of directors 
uh, of this small school were very faithful, but the kids lived like pagans. And it's the kids that mm. enculturate, it's the kids that actually make the difference in terms of the overall culture of the school. So yeah, what my daughter experienced was, you know, decades old compared to even a Catholic school when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Maybe for some of our international listeners, it might be good time just to to talk about the, the way the system for education is set up in Alberta and that we do have Catholic schools here that are separate schools, but they're also funded by the government, right? Similar to our public schools. And then, of course, we have, thankfully, we still have uh, choice in education. There's also options to be homeschooled and some other, you know, private institutions, private that have nothing to do with Christianity or anything like that, but they are funded by the government. Is there maybe a way that you could just explain that really quick, Deacon Ken, to our audience uh, that's maybe not from Alberta? Or from sure, Canada? right. Yeah, I can give it an attempt. It's uh, It could be bigger than my head. Uh, but yes, we've got basically uh, three types of public school in Alberta, Francophone schools, uh, public schools, and Catholic public schools, all funded fully. We now also in Alberta have charter schools, which are fully funded by the government. Uh, charter school cannot be a religious school. Uh, generally, a charter school has, has to be designated, well, not generally, has to be designated uh, for a particular purpose, so kind of a niche educational market. So those are the essentially the fully funded schools. And then there are independent schools, or commonly, I mean, in the past, they've been called private schools, but there's a change uh, coming in terms of their um, what they're being called. Independent schools are funded at 70% of the funding that public schools receive. And they can be religious schools. In many cases, they are a lot of private Christian schools. Uh, but more recently, uh, private Catholic schools. So Catholic schools that are, um, well, in the case of the Gilbertine Institute that I, I work for, is a Catholic school that is also a parochial school. So the ultimate arbitrator of what happens, arbiter of what happens in the school is the pastor of the parish that the school is connected to. And so even though there is a board and, you know, we function under Alberta Education Regulation, uh, when push comes to shove, the pastor needs to be happy with the direction and what's going on, or he, he can veto anything that's going on. Right. And uh, I just wanted to set that up because my, my next question was about, you know, your experiences when you were in high school going to a Catholic school and uh, just for our audience to have an understanding of sort of the timeline of this. I mean, when I went briefly to a Catholic school in the in the 90s, it's uh, there's certainly that the teachers and administrators, there were some very faithful Catholics there, which was great. There are also a few students that were really great as well. But when it came to, you know, making choices after high school and, you know, going to university, college, that was really the focus. And uh, as our listeners know, I went on a missionary team for a year uh, based out of, out of Radway, Alberta. You probably remember mm -hmm. that, Deacon Ken, uh, the, uh, the Bible school there. But I went on a missionary team and that just blew people's minds. Like they were like, why, basically, why are you wasting a year of your life to go and serve the church? Are you kidding me? And, uh, and I mean, this was a, a Catholic school. I'm not saying everybody thought that way, but there was a it was a pretty strong force around that, and it it made me like scratch my head. Am I really making the right choice and following Christ in this way? 
but you're saying that that was happening even back when you were a youth as well, right? Mm-hmm. So where do you think that uh, that cultural change started, you know, in society of how uh, young people especially started looking at uh, the church and at Christianity in general? Well, I think it frankly goes back to modernism. <laughs> this is ages old. Sure. And, 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 you know, and then postmodernism where essentially the, the church and culture have been so sep- become so separated that um, unfortunately uh, more and more over the last couple of centuries at least and, and really beyond, uh, our, our society has seen religion as sort of more of an add-on than, than central to the life of the people. And you know, whereas even architecturally, you look way back and the church is in the town square and everything that happens in the community happens out in front of the cathedral or the main church of the of the school of the um, community. And, 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 and so the church was so central and it, it has more and more just become marginal. And so then even growing up as Catholics, uh, religion tends to be an add-on even in our lives. You know, we live our real life, and then on Sunday we go to Mass. Or we live our real life, and yeah, we have morning and evening prayer and uh, prayer before meals for families who pray. But the rest of your day is all the rest of your day. And it's quite a shift, but a necessary shift for anybody who truly is sincere about their faith, for their day to become about Christ, their day to be not only begin and end and in the middle have you know sort of the hours of the church if you will to to fortify the day but to really see everything that happens in our life in the context of Christ in the context of our life in the church our our spiritual life in in the world it, it entirely changes what we do but unfortunately the people who get there are relatively few and I think a big part of the reason is all of the structures and especially our educational systems are are such that it really allows religion to be peripheral as opposed to core. The separation of church and state, a lot of people don't realize, even in our own church, Deacon Ken, this is not a Catholic principle here we're talking about. This is uh, this is the opposite. And then tying back to, to modernism and and that battle that we face here in our church and, and even with people of goodwill that aren't even Christians. Um, sometimes you're in a battle that you don't even know, right? If you, if you don't know, you don't know. But maybe talk about that principle and how that relates to, to education as well. Um, because, you know, what I say to people is living life in a state of grace as a Catholic, it should be just a way of life. Similar to someone that's working out and wants to get in shape for a marathon, there's just a way of life that you have to practice every day, right, Deacon Ken, to get to that point physically that you can run a marathon or do a triathlon it's no different in the in the pursuit of holiness in our church is that living in a state of grace it, it takes a lot of practice and discipline and virtue but we also can't separate our lives as christians and lovers of christ in the church from the greater the, the, the public right we can't separate that um but yeah maybe maybe comment on that uh, well you just said it so like what what, what do you want me to say <laughs> you haven't just said it you can say it better, Deacon Ken. I know you can. I've heard you preach before. <laughs> Maybe just when it comes to the life of, uh, you know, even in schools and how, um, you know, sadly, even in some of our our uh, Catholic schools or in public schools, a good example of that is in public schools, you could even say the Our Father up until a few years ago. 
a lot of Christian kids still went to public schools for a lot of reasons. One is sometimes they, there was no other option in their area, particularly if they lived in rural Alberta or a rural area of one of the provinces in Canada. But uh, but yeah, even in that you know that uh, even in the public sphere, anything to do with Christianity really has been totally separated. Right? You, you can't even mention it anymore. Well, no, yeah, it's really become marginalized now. But it, you know, taking it back 60, 70 years. Uh, you know, taking back pre-Vatican II, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, before Vatican II, things were so much better because, you know, the Mass was, had, there was so much more symbolism in the Mass, and it was so beautiful, and we lost so much with Vatican II. Um, I don't see Vatican II as a cause of anything, really. Um, I mean, obviously, there were some, uh, there were many <laughs> in the Church who, we used Vatican II as a, an excuse to deviate uh, in many ways. Mm -hmm. But Vatican II is more of a, I think, a what happened there is a result of what had been happening prior. We saw a lot of me just growing up, you know, in my uh, in, in the 50s as, as a child, I was born in 52, um, seeing people who went to Mass every Sunday. You know, culturally, it, they wouldn't even think of not going to Mass on Sunday. You know, I kind of got the impression after a while that it was probably mostly because their neighbors would talk, you know, because it was such a strong Catholic community that I, I lived in. Everybody was Catholic. They were all basically uh, Polish Catholics. Um, uh, mm -hmm. But living, you know, their life had so little to do with what their faith would profess. And so I saw this great contradiction in the lives of people and realized, you know, as I learned more and more history about my own family, my own forebearers and, and others in the community, realized so many of them were living essentially a duality. Their faith was not driving their life. Their faith even, you know, and so this goes back this is, goes back a hundred years prior to my youth, and I could see all of that was really the church was a symbol of something, um, something noble and honorable that everybody wanted to be connected to, but they didn't want it to change their life. And so, what we've got now—I mean, we just got that—that that, we've got that in you know on steroids now. Not only do people not want the church to change their life, they don't want the church to even be there because it comments on them in ways that they are not prepared to listen to. I mean, we're, we're in the midst of a culture now where if you don't agree with the people who are on Facebook or whatever with you, you, you scream at them until they go away or comply, but you don't you don't actually engage and meaningful dialogue to try to learn something yourself. We've, we're, we're really beyond a culture of, of open dialogue and, and openness to, to learning. <laughs> learning has become, ah, you know, <laughs> learning is, is becoming increasingly rare, real, real desire to learn, real openness of mind. Yes. Yeah. We seem to, uh, the advent of social media seems to have uh, invented the the echo chamber of these uh, these clans, right? And and uh, kind of following um, 
following, I guess, maybe the modern ear. Uh, I think that maybe is a good way to put it in the Catholic Church. And I know I've got it too. There's a time, you know, you hear something and you're like, maybe I should be agreeing with this because this is the way the world is, is going. But then realizing, yeah, that's my modern ear. If there's something that's happening in the world that, that's, uh, that's pushing me away from Christ, I got to do the exact opposite because that's that's where I need to be. And in social media, yeah, we don't have that same interaction when you have someone that you can look at face to face and and really learn when you have you know these call these keyboard warriors you know they can put anything out there and people can get really offended and uh and and really forget that we're here to pursue the truth uh not to to make everybody feel good about something but we're here to to uh, to pursue the truth of course the truth being jesus christ and uh, everything that flows from christ but um when it comes to to uh to children and education now too because we see the the advent of you know the twitter facebook uh, especially something like tiktok instagram that's how a lot of young people are interacting now and where they get a lot of influence from their peers um how is yeah how can we sort of combat that a little bit and maybe that ties into just going down the route of home education homeschooling um and interaction with other children, other youth, but also for, for parents as well to have that community too. That's really important, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. You know, if you just look at it from an education point of view, learning occurs in relationship. You know, it's rare that, I mean, we can go and learn something, you know, if we've got to drive for it, but the essential learning, the really important things that we develop in terms of our character, in terms of even our, our knowledge and skills come in some form of relationship and children are particularly attracted to things that their parents are attracted to. And so you see kids who've got musical parents, the kids love music and people with artistic parents, the kids develop those, those abilities. Um, So relationship is key. And if your relationships are, are all lateral with people who are no more mature than you uh, and, and no more virtuous than you are, your relation, you're going to learn from them, but you're going to learn at a level that's uh, sadly uh, deficient. And, and so that the real, one of the real beauties of home education is that parents and children develop through relationship. They both learn, actually. <laughs> parents learn every bit as much as their kids do, but the essential keys that children need to learn if they aren't overly distracted laterally and and have most of their interaction with their parents and their siblings uh they're going to learn not only the things they need to know but most especially the skills they'll need and among those skills the most important ones are the capacity for dialogue for discernment uh for for prayer, for goodness sake, for integrating, uh, you know, prayer with with the, all of the elements of your life. As I started to say way back there and forgot where I was going, I suppose, um, Marlene and I really determined that uh, above everything else, we wanted uh, our faith to be the core of our homeschooling journey when we began homeschooling. And so that was always a, a focus. And we had a period where we could get to daily mass uh, but that wasn't always possible. We tried to pray the rosary every day, but those things, in a way, were uh, 
almost extraneous to the core, which was the need for not only daily uh, family prayer of, of all kinds, but this this uh, approach to life that is tied to our relationship with God. We're on a farm, and our kids got to the point where they didn't want to go into any unknown zone, like a new job uh, on the farm or or a difficult job without stopping and praying first. And that's not what people do, but that's what our kids did. And when I forgot to do it, they would remind me. And so we'd have a cow that's giving us a lot of trouble because she's trying to kill us instead of let us get her calf out of the snowbank. And, uh, and, and I'm figuring out intelligent ways to deal with this ruthless animal. And Simon says, Papa, we didn't pray. Oh, yeah. And wouldn't you know it, time and again, the Holy Spirit rewards that. You know, God is always looking for ways to increase our faith. And he rewards that that uh, openness to him every time. That particular uh, situation, as soon as we prayed, the cow took off to the other end of the field, and we were able to just pick up the calf and get it into a warm place. Like It was a miraculous moment. The kids experienced it. But it, was, it was one among many. But, you know, God does just doesn't come in and just keep giving us miracles. He gives us miracles uh, to build our faith. And so our faith has to be open and, and active in order to have the miracles sustain it and build it. And as scripture, it says, you know, if we're faithful in small things, we'll be faithful in the larger yeah. things as well. Mind you, I should put a caveat with that, Deacon Ken. When you have an angry cow that just had a calf, that is a big problem. <laughs> it is not a small item either. But, but uh, that is that is a great uh, that is a, a good story and a great lesson for all of us. I think. Now, so take us back to when you were beginning the homeschooling journey with your daughter. Uh, probably doing it for for a few years, I'm guessing. Then you see there's a need because there's other homeschooling families. I had a brief. Um, well, actually, several years that I was homeschooled as well in the 90s. So right around the same time you were homeschooling uh, your children. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of options out there. There wasn't a, a lot of families. There wasn't a lot of support. Uh, I grew up on a farm as well. So there were some other reasons why my parents decided to homeschool me. And um, in addition to, to ending up having a really good education too, there was uh, an education outside of the standard academic books that I got by being on a farm and taking care of animals and, uh, and other livestock, but uh, things have changed a lot over the years. But yeah, when did that, uh, you know, the, the the call for you and your wife to say, okay, we're, we're doing our thing in our domestic church right now, but uh, we see that there's a need in the greater church as well, and we need to do something about that. Yeah, after we had homeschooled our first year, uh, we had three neighbors come and talk to us um, and asked if we would help them get going. And so we had this beautiful uh, community of, of like-minded people. And um, we were just basically connected to our local uh, school board because in Alberta, in order to home educate, uh, you're required to give notification to a school, uh, any school in the province of your intent to homeschool. And then it's that school's responsibility to to uh, supervise your program, yeah, in a nutshell. And so there we were, 
but our, our local school board uh, really didn't understand what homeschooling was. In fact, when Marlene and I first started, she uh, she threatened us with truancy. She hadn't even read the home the new home education regulation that had just come out that said we could actually legally do this. But anyway, that aside. Um, so then we uh, we uh, I, I had a local school actually contact me because they ended up with. Uh, uh, this needs to be a short story, so I won't give you the long story. They ended up contacting me to come and set up a homeschool program for them because they ended up with a large number of of homeschoolers. Uh, homeschooling was just beginning to burgeon in the. Uh, this would be the well, the early late late eighties and early nineties. Um, and, and doing that work, I worked for that school board for uh, three years. Uh, what became immediately apparent, like within the first month, was the board was was not on the same page as the families. Uh, in fact, members of the board expressed fear that homeschoolers would come back and sue them for uh, you know having uh, not having uh, educated the children properly, not realizing that responsibility is the parents' responsibility. You basically can essentially contract that to a school, but parents are ultimately responsible. And there's legal cases that where, where that has been upheld, uh, where somebody tried to sue a school board and and parent the courts pointed it back to the parents. It's the parents' responsibility. So, I mean, all that aside, we realized that there was a great gulf between a school administration of homeschooling and what parents really needed. What parents really needed was the courage to do something that was culturally uh, unknown for the most part, and people who did know about it generally frowned on it. So doing something that was culturally unpopular. And, and of course, anybody going into a realm like this where you know we've got generations of professionals teaching, well, what does a parent know about teaching their children? So feeling inadequate and feeling marginalized are the two things that most parents were experiencing, still do, frankly. And so Marlene and I realized we need to start a home ed administration where our entire focus is on fulfilling the requirements of government as an organization, but not having those requirements force themselves on the day-to-day -day life of the parents. So the parents, we, our job is to be the buffer and to basically create an environment where the parents are being encouraged in, in terms of their capacity to do this and, and you know, are be, being given resources and, and, you know, whatever helps we can so that they do it well, but uh, they don't have to interface with bureaucracy they can just interface with, frankly, we started to hire facilitators because you have to, the school has to have a certificated teacher who interacts with the family. So we hired only certificated teachers who were themselves homeschooling parents. So they knew the, they knew the lows and the highs, they knew the potential, they knew the challenges, and they could go into family's home and actually be a real encouragement. And so that that was the job: encourage them, give them help, and and buffer them from from the media and the government and all of that. 
and we become the ones that satisfy those concerns. And, and you're right, uh, Deacon. There's there seems to be <clears throat> there's still this uh, this like, stigma of some sort from from some people. I don't think it's as many as before, but there certainly is towards homeschooled uh, children and families that uh, you know kind of plant the seeds of doubt of of how effective this really is. But um, boy, uh, you know the one that I always heard, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but you know where are kids going to get their socialization or, or you know have these social activities from i mean it was uh it seems really silly because even the time that i've i went to a, a high school um there's only five minutes in between classes so i mean you're in class and then as soon as you know lunch came around everybody just jumped in their trucks or walked or did whatever in high school and went to you know various restaurants or fast food and grab food nobody was together anyways maybe your your close friend they went back to school and I just went to classes again. Uh, same thing in college and university. I very rarely had a spare. And when I did, usually I went studying or I had a friend that I'd go play squash with or something in the, in the spare. I, I don't, I don't get why people think that, you know, just having um, a, a structure of school that you would, you would generally see in, in a public school today is somehow better uh, or uh, would offer more social opportunities than someone that's homeschooled. Because if anything, you've got a more flexible work schedule and school schedule that you can do so many other things, right? Whether that's sports or that's uh, outdoors, music, um, you know, things like that. So is there some, you know, some of your experiences maybe with your family or that you've seen from the, uh, your greater family in wisdom homeschooling that uh, you've seen that where, um, you know, maybe some kids have come from a traditional public school and that sort of a system come to homeschooling and they've really flourished because their their talents and their strengths have been, you can showcase them a little bit more because you have that flexibility in time. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. I mean, it's one of the strengths of homeschooling is the fact that uh, your day is yours. And if you really look at a school schedule, there's so much time that, that well, that it isn't your time. And, uh, you know, you see homeschoolers who, especially as they get into high school, they might spend four months just doing math because they want to get into it and go deeply and or just doing history or doing a history project or at any level, not just high school. Uh, but, you know, you can learn um, a lot better if you're not being chunked. Okay, you've got 40 minutes on this subject. Now you have to go on to something else. And so just having the flexibility in your schedule is great. But the best music teachers are available during the week, during the day, because all the people who are in school need evenings and weekends to get music lessons. And so I've seen many homeschoolers become very proficient musically because they, they've got their choice of the best teachers who are happy to have them. And then, of course, you spoke a little bit about socialization. And, and I kind of intimated earlier, you know, the best socialization is being socialized in the context of family where you are responsible to other people and you're responsible for other people. And that, that's the, the ultimate uh, uh, growth in socialization. And so you get music teachers who love to have homeschoolers because they tend to pay attention. They, they practice. They, they engage themselves in what they're being taught. They're polite um, because they've been socialized not mostly by peers, but mostly by adults. And uh, just uh, two years ago, 
one of the wisdom grads uh, won an international cooking competition um, in uh, Switzerland. The first time a female has ever won this competition. And, uh, you know, she's just out of high school. She she loved cooking. Her mother's a great cook. Her mother taught her at home. And then she took the Nate cooking program. Pshum, goes off to an international competition, wins first. She's now working at a high-end restaurant in California. All because she could follow her passion because she had the flexibility to do that. She learned her other academics as well. But you can adjust your day as you need to. And yeah, many examples of that. Fantastic. And, and uh, yeah, music, great examples of that as well. I didn't know about that cooking one. That's interesting. Uh, even athletics, I know a lot of boys love sports. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility too to uh, to be a good athlete as well. Uh, we see in the, in the world, and I, I work a, a secular job, so I know it, and a lot of our listeners know it as well. We see what's going on in schools. We've seen, we're talking about modernism, uh, we talk about all kinds of these isms that are really against Christendom, against Catholicism, Christianity, even people that aren't even Christians, but I call them people of goodwill, Deacon Ken, because we have a lot of people out there that are searching for the truth and are allies of ours as well. And I know we've talked a lot about, mentioned a lot of terms that have to do with Catholicism, but homeschooling really is uh, for anybody. You don't have to be necessarily a Catholic to do that. And in wisdom homeschooling, there are some families that are not Catholic at all. Uh, maybe not even Christian, but I know for sure that they're not all Catholic. So um, we see in in this modern world a lot of pressure from, um, you know, that well, not just the media, it's just the you know society at large to to follow these these um, these deceptions. I guess uh, we see virtue signaling, but not a lot of virtue doing anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, beliefs that are being pushed upon us make us feel very uncomfortable, especially as Catholics. But uh, for other people of goodwill as well. And we've had people that aren't uh, aren't Christians at all have come to our family and said, you know, we don't like what we see in schools now. We don't like these agendas that are being pushed upon our children. We want to homeschool because we know in our hearts something is just not right with uh, with this. So, yeah, what would you say to, to people that are maybe, like I said, not even Christian? We do have some uh, folks that listen to this podcast that are not that are not Christians, uh, but uh, but good folks that are saying, you know, we're seeing what's happening in the the world at large right now, and we wanna we wanna change. We know in our hearts something's just not right here. So, uh, what would you say to encourage some of those parents and uh, even some of those kids to take that plunge and and uh, and to to look at homeschooling? Uh, yeah, thank you. Actually, when Wisdom began, I'd say probably ninety percent. Uh, only 10% of the population, the wisdom population, was Catholic. Uh, about 90% was Christian. Uh, the Christians were ahead of the Catholics. The Christ, the non-Catholic Christians were ahead of the Catholic Christians on this one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, because Catholics tend to think that, oh, we've got the Catholic schools, we'll be okay. Uh, and our kids are going to learn their faith and uh, get a good education there. And so that's been a more gradual um, you know, it's been more gradual having an increase in Catholic home educators. And even now, wisdom is still predominantly non-Catholic Christians. Um, but yes, as you said, more and more people of no faith at all. Uh, we've got a growing number of Muslim families. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people who are basically allies in a way because they're 
whether whether they have a faith or they don't, or the faiths are quite different from one another, they do have family values that they recognize are being eroded outside of the context of their family. So I strongly encourage anyone who wants to, number one, if you want to live with your children, then begin living with your children, you know, seven days a week as opposed to two days a week and evenings, because that life uh, that, you know, is, begins, you know, and, and a lot of people have said, well, I can't homeschool because we just, you know, there's so much friction in our family, you know, you know, they need to get away so that we're not, we're not killing one another. Uh, and well, frankly, if, if you get away so you're not killing one another, count on spending the rest of your life away because you'll never resolve the things that you don't resolve when your family is is in its earlier years. And I see so many families where the kids live thousands or at least hundreds of miles away from the parents. They see each other on rare occasion. When they do get together, uh, you know, they don't, there's not a lot of warmth necessarily. I'm not saying all of them, people who live distant are like that, but too many people who don't really get be, get through the friction of living together in order to get into the glory of living together. And not saying that our kids, you know, always get along. They still they still disagree on things, but they all with, live within fifteen minutes of each other. All six of them, and they've lived all over the place and have come back because they love each other. And they love us and they want to be in a in the same, at least close to each other so that we can have time together. And if you want that for your family, you have to start it when they're young. Because if the people that they spend their life with now are the primary influence on them, it will be their peers, uh, new and old, uh, that they will want to be with or uh, they'll want to avoid less. <laughs> than you um, and there's just so much good that comes from the support of family multi-generational we now on our farm have we have two of our grandsons working on the farm you know we've got this is the sixth generation farm now and uh, the beauty of it is that people want to invest into each other's lives and I see my 20 year old grandson you know playing with an eight-year-old granddaughter from, a, you know, his cousin, literally playing and, and having fun together. They, they've all been homeschooled as well, and they, they don't see ages as being an issue or as being a divisive thing. They see age as bringing richness to their relationship. And so all of these multi-aged individuals are living just the way you and I can get along. We're, you know, we're old enough to be uh, probably, probably father and son, but uh, it doesn't matter after a point. And, and and that can be enjoyed even when you're young, even when you're children, that the age doesn't matter of, at all. One of the people I was closest to as a kid is 10 years younger than me. And I was reflecting the other day, he was six when I was 16 and we used to play together. But in a sense, the, that was a period in time where uh, most family life was a lot more like homeschooling is today. That's right. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you, you hear from 
parents, and I'm not saying everybody's like this, but a lot of parents are like this. They have their kids at home. They're like, I can't wait till they're they're 18 or they graduate and they're we can get them out of the house and they're not gonna you know raid my fridge anymore and eat all my treats, you know. <laughs> um, but you know, as as a discerning families that are that have a relationship with God or are really desiring the truth, right? You can kind of we can see that um, you know even when I was. 17 18 years old even though i thought i was ready to go and take on the world <laughs> i really wasn't and i really relied on my mom and dad and uh, my family and some of my close friends to to keep me on the the straight and narrow in the spiritual life as well and this is already many decades ago and even more so today we really need to support our kids as they go to that that next stage in their life not just abandoning them and letting them go but they also we also need them as well in our families that that we can we can grow in holiness together, and uh, I think that's uh, that's just so important now, isn't it? To to recognize that that um, you know we can't as soon as kids hit that that adult age, the, you know the age of eighteen or whatever, we just we just let them go. We really need to still be there in a special way for them, especially spiritually, to to help them in, in the journey towards heaven. Because uh, boy, there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of pitfalls and a lot of snares that the devil sets out for for young people nowadays, uh, doesn't he? sure it is yeah uh, uh just a little aside you know it, it struck me when, when COVID hit uh, we ended up with a lot of parents uh, there was a sudden surge like about a 50 percent rise in homeschooling population and then of course when schools became uh you know things were opened up then half of those went back but it was really encouraging and half of those families who began homeschooling with no ideological or no philosophical reason they just they they there was nothing happening in school or or they needed to get out because they were either afraid of covid or or didn't want a mask or whatever they many reasons uh but to have half of those families go wow had no idea what our family life could be like we'd never experienced anything like this before and so they, they've continued to homeschool. And, and it's just so encouraging to see. So many times, you know, we become what we do. <laughs> and so if you do something that, that actually builds you up as a family, you will become built up as a family. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to say because I went along the conventional routes of going to a secular university, getting a degree. Uh, same with my wife, same with a lot of people in our family. But, you know, uh, doing a home education is unconventional from the perspective of our world. Um, certainly not uh, not worse at all. But um, when you think of uh, maybe kids that are better in high school and their their families, and maybe they've come from conventional backgrounds of how they've gotten into their careers and jobs, what would you say to them to maybe help encourage them to look outside the box a little bit about education? Uh, we talk about liberal arts a little bit, classical education. Things that you can that are really important, not only to for our own personal development, but also our spiritual lives too, which is so important when we're trying to build a foundation as our as we go on this journey to heaven. But yeah, just encouraging uh, young people to and their parents to look at um, some ways of um, some different routes of education after they after they're seventeen or eighteen or nineteen years old. What would you suggest to to those families, Deacon Ken? Well, it uh, depends on how much time I have. 
<laughs> well, I, I've already looked at the time. I was like, "Wait, you know, we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to wrestle you and, and bring you on again if you don't mind someday soon." But, uh, but uh, maybe the Coles Notes version sure. of, of that uh, of looking at you know maybe and maybe conventional university and college is something that that they're called to and, and they can go. But um, I was thinking more along the lines of you know even being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, mm-hmm. having a community with uh, with other people that are uh, from not only your, your homeschooling community, but also your church community as well. And, uh, and building a, a career that way on your vocation. Yeah. Vocation is an important word because it means a calling. And so calling is always something that's given to us. It's not something that comes from us. The calling vocation, but literally is God plants in each of us abilities and, and actually desire to do something. And it's always, for the good of others it's always good always for the good of actually the kingdom of god ultimately even for those who don't know it and when you talk about approach to education i will give you cole's notes but all education initially the greeks basically created our education system but it was classical so you taught you taught young children memory work and then when they get to about 12 years old they move into out of that grammatical stage, it's called into a logical stage where they need to learn about what other people think and discuss it so they can figure out what they think, their own thoughts. And that's a logical stage. And then the rhetorical stage where they need to express their own thoughts, which they've gleaned from these other two stages, and they continue to glean through those other those skills. And uh, universities all were designed to be classical in that sense, that you go example, today, if you go to Oxford University, they don't say, what are you studying? They say, what are you reading? Because you go to Oxford and you've got authors that you're reading, and then you're discussing with peers and, and professors, and you're writing. That's all you do at a, a, a university like Oxford. Most other universities have turned into grade school uh, 2.2. So that you go in and you learn stuff, you regurgitate it, you write, put it on a multiple choice exam, it gets processed, and you get a, a piece of paper they call a degree. But we've lost the essential approach to education, which was built for thousands of years. It's really only in the last century or a century and a bit that we've locked ourselves into this very a grammatical way of teaching at all levels. Prior to that, we had thousands of years of education that was based on how the human being best learns. And so I really encourage schoolers to, to use a, a more classical approach. And by the time a student is in high school, yeah, they're still memorizing stuff, but mostly they need to be developing their capacity to apply it to life and apply it to other people. And that's where entrepreneurship does come in because if students are really well classically educated, they can see the benefit of what they know or, and what they're learning for the world. And they want to be able to apply it to the to the world around them and, and to give basically, because that's mm-hmm. patient is to give, give to other people. And so uh, maybe if I cut it there, then I won't be too long. <laughs> no, that, and you know what? <laughs> Well, Deacon, can yet another topic we could probably talk for hours about is even just the uh, the influence of Catholicism on education over the centuries, 
and uh, and and how it's built our civilization that we have in Western civilization. All the good things that we really enjoy, not just us Catholics, but everybody around us really came from from Christendom. And to see uh, an erosion of that through these different isms, we talk about modernism. There's Marxism. There's all all secularism. There's all these different things that are working against us or taking that away. And people wonder why they're so miserable all the time. It's because the good things about about life are being taken away. And the sooner we recognize that, the better. So before I let you go, Deacon Ken, on this, I really appreciate your time. I want to talk just about advocacy with homeschooling and just generally having freedom of education for parents to to put their kids into whatever school that they want. Um, I think that this is a group effort. It's not just people that are that are homeschooling uh, their, their kids or also sending their kids to Catholic schools or other uh, faith-based private schools. This has to be a group effort. This can't just be us in our little uh, our little chambers doing and fighting these battles on our own. But what do you foresee in the future for uh, those who are who are fighting for education choice, not only in Alberta but also in other places in North America, especially when you see a lot of challenges, uh, places like Europe where they're making it basically illegal to even be to, to even homeschool, even some private um, uh, uh, education choices are being banned as well. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, negative forces working against those who, who want to have a freedom of education and that school choice. But yeah, what would you say uh, in terms of advocacy is something that we can all uh, maybe learn about and uh, and advocate for? Uh, yeah, our school system is built on a model that was developed in Prussia for the purpose of basically indoctrinating young people so that the Prussian army uh, lost... We, we, did miserably because they had had soldiers who were not well disciplined. So they developed the school system there. It's really the model that all of Western schools have been based on, uh, built that model to basically develop obedience. Uh, and, and, you know, the kinds of things you get rewarded for in school are, are obedience, you know, fulfill the, the requirement, uh, write the, write the test, it, uh, as opposed to learn to think. Uh, learn to express yourself. And so that model is still alive and well. In fact, as you say, many European countries are still using the education system only as a means of indoctrination, of controlling the population. And if you look at socialist governments, even socialist governments we've dealt with locally, their model is one system because one system can be totally controlled. And so everyone who desires, who values freedom, who, who desires uh, the capacity for intellectual growth that goes beyond what's being shoved down your throat must stand up. And so getting to know your MLA in this province is extremely important, no matter what their stripe get to know your MLA and influence on them, give them an idea of what it is that you value educationally and how it's providing for good, not only in your family, but good in your community. And whether you're a grandparent, a high school student, get to know your MLA and, and inform them. And this isn't a one-time thing. This is ongoing because MLAs change. Uh, you know, after another election, it's going to be a whole different slate. And so this is a lifetime journey. The The socialist approach is 
always going to be pushing down to control everyone, to control families, control all the students for sure. And so we have to continually be pushing in the other direction. There's no resting because as soon as you rest, uh, you start to lose ground. Well, a big thanks again to Deacon Ken Noster for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. If you're in Alberta and you're interested in homeschooling, check out wisdomhomeschooling.com for some great resources and some steps and a guide in how to get started with homeschooling if that's something that you feel called to do. And again, you don't have to be a Catholic or even a Christian to be a homeschooler. And as a dad myself of a bunch of homeschooled kids, there's so many options right now. There's so many different things to do. I personally uh, think that every school, every brick and mortar school that you'd say, even a Catholic school, I don't have any problems with it. I just think you have to have a discerning heart for the uh, the education of your children, especially the spiritual well-being of your children and keeping them close to God. That is the most important thing. We need to get our children to heaven, to eternal life, and through our choices in school, because let's face it, Peers have a lot of influence on our kids, and uh, it's so important for us to to make sure that the environment that they're in is going to foster a lifelong love of learning and also a lifelong love of Jesus Christ. And that, at the end of the day, is the most important thing. We need more followers of Jesus Christ, not more fans. So I'll continue to pray for you and pray for us as well. You know, for our family, it's been great. We have ups and downs like any family does with our kids, but for homeschooling and the choices that we've made to be a little bit more close to our kids and seeing them more often, it's been fantastic. It's such a blessing for us. And I'm always happy to talk to you about it as well. And my wife, if you ever have any questions, and I could also refer you to a lot of other families that can help you out in the journey as well. So again, thank you, Deacon Ken, and uh, for the great witness that he is and the great resources and commitment that he has provided to homeschooling families in Alberta and across Canada as well. Well, thank you for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast, my friends. It's so great to have you on this journey with me to eternal life. And what a journey it is. What a ride. What a great time to be alive. We were born for a time such as this. And, you know, I just love this quote from Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. He says, quote, each of us is the result of a thought of God. Each of us is willed. Each of us is loved and each of us is necessary, end quote. What a beautiful quote. What a beautiful uh, truth that is. And what a great God that we have. And isn't it so sad today to see so many sad people, so many people that are depressed? Maybe that's something that even happens to all of us. Maybe that happens to you. But maybe this is a reminder for you that God has a special plan for you, a special vocation for you. And you are very much necessary and very much loved in this chapter in the history of salvation. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or on Facebook and drop me a line anytime. I'd love to hear from you. And let's keep praying for each other. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your fine podcasts. And remember, Catholics, you know what we got to do. Got to live life in a state of grace. It's got to be something we do every day. So we got to go to Mass regularly, receive the Eucharist worthily, and we got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.